Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hey, Kelly. Family. Hey, do you know when a group of crows is a murder? Yes. Oh, when? Yeah. When it's three or more? No, when there's probable cause. Oh. Oh. That's terrible. If you can't handle that, then get the fuck out, because this is Whining About Hursery, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women and make terrible puns from history that you probably haven't heard of and memes you saw on the internet. (gasps) I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Do you know what Two Crows is called? What? Attempted murder. Ooh, I love that one. I've heard that, and I just, I'm like... Justin. I don't know. I just want you to like tell me. <laughs> tell my, me more about my crows. Tells me that all the Did time. you know crows use tools? You know crows are incredibly intelligent and beautiful. Did you know you can befriend a crow really easily by just giving them shiny objects? Yes, I want. Okay, if I didn't have two tiny dogs terrorizing my backyard all the time, I would have an army of crows back there. And actually, my uh, my friend, her new fella, he's really into birds, and his dream is to like have a bunch of crows in his backyard, and I'm like, marry him. <laughs> this is not a request. This is an order. Marry him. Marry him and let me come see his flock I was going to say, because then it's like I could have crows in laws. Like, I could be auntie to the crows. You never have to have children. You just have to maintain an appropriate murder of crows. There you go. For my pleasure at all times. <laughs> or the walls of the castle will fall. No, that's ravens. ravens. I don't care. Crows are more abundant because they're better. Because they're better. <laughs> they are. They are. And you get to see them more often. So if they're your favorite bird like mine, you can enjoy them constantly. Also geese. Because the geese in this town run this city. Like the geese and the crows. They're getting a little bit better because they're They taking... did the culling. Yeah. yeah. But, but seriously, yeah. the geese and the crows, like everyone has been trying to get rid of them for ages and all the birds are just like, die mad about yeah. it. We our ain't geese, going in. Our geese do not leave during the winter because yeah. we have open water. Well, it's it's heated by the yeah, old power plant, exactly. so it never freezes. Yeah. And I, I love it, though, because they, they look at you and they're just like, we were here before you. Oh, yeah, we they gonna know. be here after. They're just like biding their time till we all blow ourselves up. Yeah. Like they're. Very excited. Geese know. Yes. They've got all their little goslings out now. Oh, so they're, they're so cute. The goslings are super cute, but even when you keep your distance from the geese, they hiss. You get hissed up. They get hissy. They throw hissy fits. They, they literally throw hissy fits. Yeah. No, it's insane. I had one charge me and my dog once, and we were not even close to it. And I'm like, mm, there's a first time dad overreacting. Calm down. I think you assumed it was the dad. I would have assumed it was the mom. Well, because a mom knows, like, when to worry. You know, I don't know. I just, I see moms as just kind of, she's like, I've been here. I've done this. And this is the first time dad who's, like, showing off and being like, I'm a parent. I'm a parent. Look at me doing parent things. Kelly was, like, flapping wings and imitating her. I was flapping up and down. You're flapping back and forth like a moron. (laughs) No, they do that. No, but that's not what I, I was. I was doing the like, oh, hey, I, thought, I thought you were going ho, like this. I was doing hey. this. That's what they do for predators. They flap towards you to make themselves well, look they, bigger. They turn around and then like, yeah, make split, themselves look lay out their wings. Excuse me while I hit so my like, mic. Fuck you. All right. Um, so we're going to do a video. Uh, tell us which one of us has the most realistic goose impression. 
I mean, yeah, obviously. Submit your votes now. No, no, I defy you and your damn logic. I like that I'm like, no, you're going to win. And then you're like, I defy you. Oh, I thought you said no, you I would said win. because and down you... would win. Oh, which okay. Was you. I just assume that you're against me at all times. I just assume you're against me at all times. I'm just being aggressive. As we've said multiple times on this podcast, Kelly and I are like the Spice Girls of the podcast world. We were put together with a podcast think tank and we actually do not speak outside this podcast. I have no idea if Ke- like... I don't know Kelly's hopes or dreams. She might as well be an AI. Maybe I am. <laughs> I was, that those, was, are, those were weird noises. I don't know. I was I I couldn't think of like robot noises. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, how do I do the AOL dial-up sound? And I was like, I can't. That's a sound yeah. I cannot recreate. No. You know what it is instantly. Yes. Cannot recreate it. Only the devil can make that sound. Anyway, Kelly, we have a very special wine today. We do. We had our first buy me a wine supporter. Individual. Yeah, supporter. Her name was Madison Ham, and she spot- sponsored a bottle of wine for us. And she said, this podcast always makes my day. Currently enjoying the latest episode while job searching. Way to go. Listen to Listening to you two talk makes it so much less lonely, and it is great to learn about these remarkable women. Enjoy the wine. We are working on a barefoot budget. Yeah, she says, sorry for only $5. We were working with a barefoot budget. And I'm like, that is the new way I'm describing right. my financial that's, situation. That's how I work, too, is a barefoot budget. I've got a, I've got Pui Fuse t- tastes. And a barefoot budget. Say that first word again. No. (laughs) I refuse. I will not humiliate myself more than I already do on this podcast. All right. But um, there is a little story about this wine really quick. Um, So first of all, I assume that Madison is John Hamm's less famous but entirely more generous sister. And... Because the last name is Ham, I like Googled and there are all these like really cute wine labels with pigs. There's like lipstick on a pig and there's squealing pig and then there's like wild pig. and like Yes, those all sound super cute. They, they were very cute. Okay, I might get lipstick on a pig as a tattoo because it was my aesthetic. <laughs> like hot mess, but doing all right with it. Um, so Kelly went to the, went to the liquor store, could not find any wine. Like that none, was not even like pig adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And I then, saw one about a butcher and I like thought about it, but then I'm like, nope, there's a sheep on the bottle. Nope. Can't do it. Dark. Um, so I went to a different liquor store and I found, I found wine that represented ducks, horses, sheep, buffalo, chimeras unicorns snoop dog and martha stewart all of the barn animals i didn't know martha stewart had one yeah all i think she calls it martha's vineyard which i'm like that's an an insult to martha's vineyard can you do that but like i found all of the imaginable farm animals and fantasy animals and i could not find a pig except for this one and you will see online it doesn't even have a big name. It's just like the back half of a pig on the label. Yep. It's called Frico by Scarpetta. It is, uh, oh gosh, Sangiovese 2020. And yeah, it's just literally like middle section back of a pig. Yeah. 
So um, I even met Madison. I want you to also understand I was walking around the liquor store with this bottle of wine, shaking my head, Googling like brand names, running around like an idiot. And then finally I went up to one of the guys and he's like, oh, how can I help you? I'm like, okay, I know this is weird. (laughs) I didn't even preface it with that. Like I wandered around and the guy was like, do you need some help? And I'm like, I'm looking for a pig themed wine. And he just kind of looked at me and I was just like, Yep. See, I need to give exposition. He just kind of looked at me and then I just walked away after a minute because I was just like, you have, nope, you have nothing. I need to sing, do you want to build a snowman and get through my whole childhood and everything that's led me up to this point. But I'm like, someone happened to have pig wine. (laughs) I need some for my show. It would really make me squealious if you could help with this little thing I know. Shit, that was terrible. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was like, okay, so someone, so someone donated to us and I want to be clear. I was the only person there and I refused to speak in the singular and I'm like, and we, we need to, and you know, their last name is Ham. So we wanted to do like a a pig themed wine. And you know, I was wondering if you had any of these brands and again, speaking in the Royal weed this whole time. And he just looks at me and then was incredibly helpful. Like he he went to all the places I had looked. He looked and he's like, "There's a goat. There's a sheep. There's a cow. There's a horse. Yeah. There's a." There's yeah, the, a the, the guy. Like, the guy eventually was like, "No, I don't think we have anything." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, good. I didn't see anything, but." <laughs> Yeah, this was actually less strenuous, though, than looking for all of that, like, really specific liquor yeah, for our terrible. episode with Hashtag History. So, episode Madison, was great. Madison, I just want you to know, both of us put in a lot of effort for you and separately made huge asses of ourselves <laughs> to find a wine right. that somehow correlated. I even started looking. I was like, is there, like, job hunt related <laughs> I was just going to go with barefoot, but Emily was like, no, we need something different. Yeah, no, I had already committed and um, it's fine. It's fine. So freak away. There is no pig wine in Rochester. That's why I said freak away. It's like freaking a, I suppose. Yeah. Freak away. So this says, this was, we'll actually read the wine. Now, now that we know how hard we work to get it. Exactly. Frico wines are inspired by the old world traditions of Italy's most unique wine regions. This culture valued hard work, integrity, and highly appreciated the custom of family gatherings. Good values and unforgettable memories were passed down through generations. To commemorate this way of life, Frico field blends are meant to be shared from special occasions to everyday adventures. Your own discovery of inspiration awaits. Bon appetito. I honestly think the whole first part of that, Madison, you can just put that on your resume. Yeah. I was going to say, built that, that on sounds- hard work, integrity, and old school family values. Sounds perfect for job <laughs> yeah. hunting. And then the end, it can be for us. Good for sharing for everyday adventures. Yep. Pig butt. Pig butt. <laughs> it is a very lovely pig butt. It is. It's, it's very artistic. It's like a, a line drawing. Yeah, it's very cute. It's got the tail, which honestly is like the cutest part of the pig. Right. I also, Maybe the ears. I almost got a wine called carnivore too because I'm like, pigs eat people. Pigs eat meat. Pig, pigs literally will eat everything. Yeah, they are the trash cans of the land. That's why Belganess was so into having pigs. Yeah. Never, never trust someone who has a bunch of pigs. Life rule. All right. Well, Madison, cheers to you and your job hunt. And thank you so much for supporting. We love you. Woo!
excellent clink. That's a really smooth red. Holy fuck buckets. This is really Holy good. Fuck buckets. It's really good. It's so smooth and velvety and just like coats my mouth and yeah, gives me happy warmness. Good job, Madison. You inspired an excellent wine. Good job. Good job. You and your last name. You did all of this. You we went to two different it. liquor stores asking full pig wine. It is really good. Oh, Worth it. How funny would it be if Madison's kosher? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty it sure would be kind of this funny. wine, actually, this wine cannot be kosher. You have to like buy special kosher wines. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Kelly, you're going first on this decidedly non-kosher episode. <laughs> Are any of our episodes kosher? Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> for two for two member former members of the Jewish student organization. We are terrible. We are. We are terrible at Judaism. I've learned so much. I did too. But I've forgotten a lot. Um, I have another shout out for the beginning of my episode. So I'm covering Margaret McDonald Macintosh. Wait, is this your episode now? No. Yes, this half of my uh, this episode. I love how you owned it. You're like Emily. I am the captain now. <laughs> I am where's the host. My ha- where's and my the captain's hat? <laughs> my tiara's over there. Actually, I have one over there too. Oh my god, we have we there are like three or four tiaras in this room. Appropriate. That I never thought I would be in proximity to so many tiaras in my life. It's another one in my bedroom. Oh my God, Kelly, is there a room that is not ordained with a tiara? Most of the rooms in my house. We should have one in the bathroom. Just every it room. is the great like throne. Little, little tiaras everywhere. Yes. Okay, See I'm See how long it takes Justin to notice. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Keep so covering them every now and yeah. then. Sorry, I'm all about fucking with her husband. Um, but not literally. Ew, no. I would punch her in the face. No, no. That, that would be fucking your husband. Fucking with is an entirely <laughs> different true. connotation. So Margaret McDonald McIntosh, and my shout out is our Scotland Karen, because this was another recommendation from her. So thank you, Karen. Karen! The Karen we like. Yes. Hashtag not all Karens. Hashtag not all Karens. (laughs) Hashtag not this specific Karen. Yes. This Karen we like a lot. Yes. You can take our wine, but you can never take... Of freedom to buy more. Ah! Ah! Braveheart. Which actually, I I, I watched that movie because my ex put it on. And I was like, I guess I'll watch this. Yeah. Um. I really enjoyed it, and I was like, and, and like it got to the you know you can take you know, this like big yeah. battle scene, and I think he said that line. I mean, not that line, but the line that inspired well, what you just said. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. He. The, the wars in Scotland were all about wine. We know what y'all are about. Um, but he said the famous line, you know, they won the battle and everyone's happy. And I was like, wow, that, that movie wasn't as long as I thought it'd be. And it was well paced. And I, I really enjoyed and you're it. like, oh, it's not over It yet. was maybe a quarter over. And I'm like, oh, my God, it just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't remember anything else except the fact that the movie never actually stopped. You're still watching it I'm now. I'm still at. Actually, it's just been paused. Because <laughs> I like. It's You're like, just I couldn't. I can't run. do it. I, who has the time? <laughs> All right. 
So Margaret McDonald McIntosh. It sounds like a Scottish name. It's not. She was born uh, in November 5th, 1864 in Tipton, Staffordshire, England. <gasps> like London Tipton. Brenda Song. Yeah. Sweet Life of, life yes, of Zach I and know Cody. Exactly Sweet Life on Deck. Yeah. <laughs> so she was the fourth of 13 children, as we've talked about. There wasn't a lot to do back in those times, except for make more children. Her poor mother. Let's pour some out for her mother. Please don't. And her V. There, there is enough spilt wine on this table. <laughs> there, that there doesn't a lot. need to be intentionally spilt wine. Here, I'm going to pour it into my mouth. Pour some Perfect. out for her mom's V. Um, so her parents were Francis McNair and John McDonald. Um, Margaret and her siblings grew up in a creative and supportive household where they were encouraged to pursue um, any of the talents they had and especially their artistic interests, which is good because that's what Margaret had. Margaret would go on to graduate school with her siblings and then she would enroll in the Glasgow School of Art, <gasps> Art joining her sister Frances, who was already studying there. I've been to Glasgow. I would like to go to Glasgow. I also got to sit in on a university class and I, I'm really mad because it was a lit class and I think I had read, they were, they were talking about a short story or something. I read it like we all had in preparation and the teacher was asking questions and like all of us American students were way too embarrassed to engage. And now I'm just like, Why? because we were all worried that we were going to embarrass ourselves, not only in front of the students we were traveling with, but a bunch of foreign students who would be like those fucking Americans like they know nothing. I felt so much pressure to present America as like that's not terrible that's when I was over funny. there when I went to England we were like we're all just gonna say we're from Canada I would also do that sometimes except the other half of our group that we picked up on the way like they weren't actually part of our group but they like kind of were we're from Texas and we're like fuck <laughs> like we can't say they're Canadian <laughs> they're from South Canada <laughs> We're yeah. the Buffalo Rome. <laughs> like, God damn it. There goes our plan. Uh, anyways. So in college, university, the school of uni, art, as they call it, um, she would work very closely with her sister on art pieces. And the pair um, w- would get a studio together at 128 Hope Street in Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Hope Street. Um, they would produce book illustrations together, embroidery, uh, gesso panels, which are just like a type of like printing on a panel style. Cool. Um, leaded glass and various types of metal work as well. So, like, whole bunch of stuff. And they're doing this, like, they both had their own style, but they they worked in tandem a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of became known, like, together. Yeah. And their work was inspired a lot by Celtic imagery, literature, symbolism, and folklore, and they would put a lot of that into their work. Loving all of this. During art school, Margaret would meet her future husband, Charles Renee McIntosh, which I'm sure people have heard that name because he is... He's a super famous architect, particularly in Scotland. Okay. Um, but if you like look him up, like he's, he's fairly well known. Like that's a name I recognize at least. It's, it's super funny. My, my friend, uh, in front of the podcast, Jory, she went to school for like architectural design oh, yeah. and I bet she's like, she's like, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah exactly. I bet she's like screaming right now and I'm just like, my eyes are going crossed. I have no frame of reference. Right. It's fine. Um, they would also meet James Herbert McNair, who would actually go on to marry Francis. Oh, I love all the nicknames. I know. Like, I don't know. I just think my my name would be so much more fancy. Like, Mick Emily. 
would be McNeville. 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 Yeah, I, I know, but I, I wasn't going to shout my last name on, on air. But here we are. You can edit it out. It's fine. Um, the four of them formed a very close-knit group and would become known as the Four or the Glasgow Four, either way. Ooh. Um, and they would collaborate on numerous projects throughout their lives together, and their work would become known synonymous with the Glasgow style, which was just like a style of art that was very popular during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret excelled at her various studies. Like anything she put her mind to artistically, she was good at. Um, She won several awards throughout her time at college and her talent and unique artistic ability began to emerge like separately of her sister and the other people she worked with. She showed um, great ability to create intricate, detailed designs, but with a very feminine touch. Okay. I'm loving that. Her art is very pretty. I'm going to look it up as you tell her beautiful story. Right. Her artistic style, when you do look her up, is characterized by delicate, ethereal figures, intricate patterns, and the use of symbolism. Remember, I said she was very enamored with, like, Celtic lore and symbolism and all that stuff. She would work in various medias, including metal, textiles, graphic design, illustration, and she was known for creating innovative and decorative designs, furniture, jewelry, and interior spaces. Holy fucking shit. What? Her no, her art. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's like you're you're right, it is very ethereal and Celtic and like it's almost kind of witchy. Yeah. And I'm actually I'm surprised I haven't seen this on Facebook as as like, you know, cause cause like I'm into all of those aesthetics. Right. And I'm just really surprised I haven't seen someone who's like, Oh my god, have you seen this shit? Or today right. I learned about this incredible artist and her beautiful art, and it's amazing. Right. I, I want this as a tattoo. This is seriously stunning yeah and she did she designed a lot of like interiors too which worked really well because her husband would do like the exterior and the architecture and then she would come in and do like the interior pieces which is i think amazing that they could like work well together um yeah. so she was really influenced by early works of audrey beardsley um who was also very intricate in her illustrations and use of symbolism it's not like an exact, but you can, if you look up Audrey, Beard, Audrey Beardsley, you can kind of see like the influence. Yeah. Also, some of this, some of these works, they kind of remind me of um, those adult coloring books where like the illustration is very complex. So you have to spend a lot of time coloring it right. because there is a lot of detail. There's a lot of geometric shapes. There's very pretty. Though. Yeah. So. Margaret and Charles were married on August 22nd, 1900, which is 114 years minus three days to my wedding anniversary. Oh my God, seriously? Yeah, because I was was married August 18th. That's so cute. I used to have that date seared in my mind because it was it might have been august 16th but it was like my job for a year it was but i've expunged it i'm like get out long enough we're done it's been long it's been nine years it's fine i thought you were on your 10th nope next year's 10 oh i only know that because his brother got married a year before us so like they're like it's our 10 year wedding anniversary and i bet that's what i was thinking yeah (laughs) so for people who don't know i did i did give a little bit background on charles Literally, Barry. My entire background is Charles Renee McIntosh is frequently claimed to be Scotland's most famous architecture. Architect. Done. Yeah. Entire background. That's all we need to know. This isn't his story. Right. Um, during her lifetime, that means Margaret was somewhat marginalized in comparison because that's tended to what happened. 
Um, however, she was celebrated by some of her peers and her husband was actually very like in awe of her, which doesn't always happen. Some, uh, um, he once wrote a letter that included the words, quote, remember, you are half, if not three quarters in all my architectural work. And also said, quote, Margaret has the genius and I have only talent. You love to see a king. Right. Like you love to see right. it. Yeah. And, no, he, he obviously, um, he obviously respected her as an artist, as a professional right? and, and respected and gave credit to her contributions to the projects that they did together. And that's really beautiful to see It is because as with most of our stories, the husbands do not come out looking great. Right. And yeah, sometimes they get a big ego and blah, 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 blah. And actually at one point, the French painter Blanche Colosse visited them. And this was about five years after they got married. Um, and he described them as quote, Two visionary souls in loving mateship wafted still further aloft to the heavenly realms of creation. So, like, I couldn't find a ton on their relationship, but it sounds like it was actually, like, they were actually, like, in love and supported one another. That's so beautiful. Also, there's this photo of the two of of them and his mustache. Oh, yeah. It is a sight to behold. It is. Good God. And I, I love it. I'm I loving just everything want to point about out it. the sentence in loving mateship. <laughs> like, I actually the, like that. In I, loving mateship. In loving mateship. Because it's gender neutral and I just love well, everything like about it. Partner instead of, you know, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, right. you know, which is so binary. And like, I know there are some people, I actually, I don't know how much strength this ideology has anymore, but for a time there was, you know, a push like you only use partner if it's to describe a queer relationship, but there's also the other side of that where it's like the more people who use partner, the fewer people feel like they have to out themselves by right. just describing the person they're with. I agree. So I, I say partner. Actually, I've, I've I say fella. <laughs> I say fella a lot. I kind of like <laughs> rotate between stuff, but like. Where I say partner, yeah. Especially like in at work and stuff where I'm like, it doesn't really matter the gender of my spouse. Mm-hmm. I'll say partner quite often. Yeah. Um. So obviously, uh, even outside of the Glasgow for the Macintoshes together, just Margaret and Charles would embark on a lot of creative partnerships together that would have an, a lasting impact on the art and design world. They would collaborate on so many projects, including designing like furniture lines, interiors, various decorative objects, and generally Margaret's Margaret's contributions to their projects involve creating detailed symbolic ornamentation and textile designs that would complement her husband's architectural vision, kind of like I mentioned. So he would design like the room and the architecture in the room or the building, Mm -hmm. and then she would design all the little pieces that went inside. Are they the Chuck and Joanne Gaines of Glasgow? Yes. (laughs) Of 1900s Glasgow? 100% better. Also, like, I don't know, like on TV, they look really like this big happy family, but I'm always like, I'm just kind of waiting for Joanne to break free and right. like go out on her Exactly. Own. I don't know. She just seems like she's oh, a she force. Could, she's a fucking force. Yeah. <laughs> so Margaret's early life, if you notice, I didn't talk a lot about it because it's not as well documented as we tend to see with women and that we presume event. she yeah. was a child at some point. Right. Um her later years are more more well documented, or at least like her artistic spaces were. But it is evident that her upbringing and education, as well as her different collaborations throughout the years, influenced her artistic development and her early exposures also played a crucial role in shaping what became a very unique artistic style for her and establishing her as a prominent figure during this time period. 
One of Margaret's most notable works is the Glasgow style tea rooms that she made. So it was like a, it was a whole bunch of different tea rooms. She would collaborate with her sister, Frances and Charles. So Charles would design the overall, overall architecture and specifically one of the most famous tea rooms that I believe got restored is called the Willow Tea Room. Oh, I see a photo of it. Yeah. And it's super pretty. But it really showcases like the unique vision both Margaret and Charles had. And it became very iconic of this Glasgow style that was going around at the time. The backs of those chairs are so tall. I know. Like they are, I think the chairs might be taller than me and it's very intimidating, but really gorgeous. Right. Like Like the architecture is, everything in the room is, it's just, I would pretend to like tea to drink in there. Right. So to breathe the air. Exactly. Margaret's work is often characterized by a fusion of like traditional old school elements with like the modern aesthetic of the time. She did, um, she drew inspiration from nature as well as the Celtic and did a lot of floral motifs and flowing lines, particularly when it came to her interior designing. You see some of it in her paintings, but particularly in her interior design, yeah, there's a lot of that like nice flow of like nature almost you know okay so I just kind of put this together you know what her art kind of reminds me of have Mm. you ever seen um like secret of the Kells Mm -hmm. yeah it like it reminds me of the art that studio does which is also very like Celtically influenced but like the 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 rolls the like soft moving lines all the geometry stuff that's kind of going around now a little bit like old school cottage core but yeah just those really like lots of lots of circles lots of like soft lines all of edging it's and just very really beautiful also if you do look up the willow tea room whoever took these photos no shade it looks like they're documenting a crime scene these are not great photos and the room is still beautiful so i can't imagine what it's like in real life yeah they're not like flash in the table it's it's no it's it's not great but yeah but like the it's so pretty Mm -hmm. Like the tear, the chairs are super tall, but there's like stained glass, and it's just very pretty. Yeah. Anyways, um, in 1902, the couple would receive one of their major commissions from Vienna, oddly enough, from a man named Fritz Warendorfer. Fritz Warendorfer. Yes. He. I. I hope that he had his name announced every time he walked yeah, exactly. in the room. It was like Fritz. Warendorfer, like exactly. it's just because that's that's one hundred percent. That's that's a, a name. fucking name. Um, Good he God. was he was building a villa outside Vienna, showcasing the works of local architects, which I think is interesting because I'm like, these are not local architects. He just meant Europe, right? So, um, other people were already designing some of the other rooms, but he invited the Macintoshes to design, in particular, his music room. Mm. This room is decorated with a lot of panels of Margaret's. Margaret's artwork, particularly the Opera of the Winds, the Opera of the Seas, and the Seven Princesses, which are wall-sized triptych, which um, are kind of like panels, essentially. But they're very, very big, very, very pretty. It's like they're like reliefs, like carving reliefs. So if if you look up um, the Seven Princesses triptych or Margaret Macintosh... I believe. Oh my yeah. God. It's beautiful. Um, It's kind of like interesting to look at because you can't really tell what you're looking at because the picture is, again, 
kind of fucking terrible. Well, to get the entire piece in there, you yeah. can't get up to the details. So actually, it's it's kind of hard for me to piece together because there are all these like close ups, and then there's like a drawback of the whole thing. And you're right. trying to figure out like where is this in the piece, but it's really like when you look at the close ups, yeah, it's, it's like a mosaic relief cut into stone. Yeah. It's very very pretty. But all of those together are considered some of her finest work. Um, as the years went on, her outpush would diminish due in part to her own fragile health and due to Charles's career not doing so well and her trying to like assist him. And a lot mm-hmm. of her work came from his architecture projects. Um, during the time, so their, oh, their work diminished and we don't see as much. And then in the even later years from 1914 to 1915 there's only like one known oil painting called the little hills of hers during that time and then the subsequent years after that would see her taking up more textile design and resuming like watercolor painting instead of these like big rooms and stuff like that you can get a pillow of one of her paintings on redbubble and it is i don't need it right i don't need it but Jesus Christ, I want it. It's so gorgeous. These late watercolors um, are some of her most powerful watercolors and have a lot of personal references, particularly the one called The Legend of the Black Thorns or La Morte Perfumée that has like some nods to other artists and stuff she worked with and are just gorgeous pieces. After that, she would move to France, and again, like, there is almost no work known from her from about 1923 to 1927, mainly because... She's in the south of France dealing with her health. Well, and Charles wasn't doing very well. Charles would actually pass away the year after 1928, and Margaret was largely on her own, basically, and she seemed to be really restless or looking for something. No one's quite sure. She would move quite a bit between France and Monaco and England, And she didn't have, like, a house she lived in. She would just move from hotel to hotel. No one's really sure what she was doing, but a lot of her work seemed to to, uh, cycle around, like, getting recognition from her late husband's work and stuff like that. Yeah. As well as various bouts of poor health herself. Well, it's really sad. So I... um. This is just what this made me think of, and I'm definitely editorializing. Um, I had a I had a I had a set of grandparents, and very close, very you know dependent on each other. And when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother felt very lost. Like she kept wanting to make all these big changes, and I think she was, and she ended up moving like a, halfway across the country to be with my cousins and like all this wow. other stuff, which I was like, mm, do you really want to do that? And like, I don't know. There was, there was a lot going on, but the impression I got is that she was looking for something to fill the void that my grandfather had left. Right. Like you lose your home almost. Yeah. And so the fact that she's going all over the place and it just seems like she's looking for something like I, it sounds like, her and her husband, they really were soulmates. And yeah. when he was gone, she's like, I lost I lost my artistic partner, my romantic partner, and my f- best friend, you right. know? And so, of course, you're just going to travel around, like, chasing that, chasing that feeling, that sense of home and belonging. Yeah. Yeah. That breaks my heart. Yeah. Margaret! She, she would eventually move back to Chelsea and her, like, original studio, and, and she would pass away on January 7th, 1933. 
Um, she was about 68 years old at the time of her death. And there's really no like document or any sort of things that talks about like why, what her bouts of illness were or what, what she passed away from or anything like that. So I don't know much other than that, sadly. Yeah. Um, and like I said, kind of despite her immense contributions and stuff throughout her time, uh, during her lifetime, Margaret's work was overshadowed by her husband a lot. Not that he seemed to do anything. Like, yeah, it to, was. It's just how it was. Men, th- that men was were society. More recognized. That was just society. Like there, there was not the same kind of recognition given to femme artists. Right. And lately, there has been a lot of renewed appreciation for her artistic achievements, and she's recognized as one of the key figures in the Glasgow style movement. And her work continues to inspire and influence various artists and designers to this day, which I think is fantastic. I also love that Glasgow style. Right. Like, and just in case you're wondering, like, about some of these pieces, so that villa piece, the Seven Princesses, is known as, like, one of her grandest works. So it's three wall-sized panels that was extremely popular, and it was sold, and it disappeared in 1916. What It was rediscovered in 1990. In a crate in the bottom of a museum. And it is now on permanent display there. Because the villa was sold. And when it was sold, they probably sold it to the museum. But someone probably didn't document it correctly. So it just kind of like vanished. Oh my God. Can you imagine though being like the summer intern who it's like, (laughs) we need to catalog this shit and the rest of us are busy with other things. Your job this whole summer is to go through this dusty basement and catalog everything. And this is the intern who like- crate and you find that and you're like, shit. Or do you even know what it is? (laughs) So if you want to know like kind of how well her work is doing now, which I thought was really interesting. So in 2018- her her work called the white rose and the red rose which was paint, which was originally made in 1902 was auctioned for 1.7 million uk pounds or 3.3 million dollars but if she was alive it would be worth nothing it I'm might kidding. still be worth something i'm i'm just you know the the joke that like an artist's work always appreciates after their death because then it's entirely finite exactly no one else can own that piece or a piece similar yeah because or it's like this artist has x number of pieces there will be no more you can't commission one you can't buy one you like this is it yeah that's wild and and like i'm so glad that she's getting recognition and really like seriously look up her art because even like it's so pretty. I love art, but I don't know what I'm looking at. And this gives me so much visual pleasure. Right. I know. It it same. I'm like, this visual is pretty. Pleasure. All right. So that was Margaret. I mean, it's no cat. I'm sorry. Like Gwen John. I'm sorry. I'm obsessed with the cats. I know. I saw that you posted <laughs> that even on our social media. I even I, like, I even damn it, Emily. Yeah, when I posted the new episode post, I was like, and here's a cat. Also a cat. This is the cat that broke Emily's brain in the middle of the episode. Is that what you're whining about tonight, cats? Always. I'm always whining about cats. Um, I actually felt bad leaving my cat to come to record today. Because I was just like, my little baby, I've been at work all day and now I have to leave you again. And I just want to cuddle with you forever and ever. 
Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. But my story, okay, so there's a backstory to this. I was. Is it Nazis? Is the backstory It's not Nazis. Nazis. That's not till next week, Kelly. Oh, God. (laughs) I, I, I mean, yeah. Spoilers. It's two, fine. Two weeks. Well, we'll also be dealing with Nazis in two weeks. Why? For the book. Oh, God damn it. Do you not remember that woman's story? I forgot we were doing that <laughs> at a certain... That's I in two have, weeks, Emily. If I don't have my calendar in front of me, I don't know what's happening. Emily's just lost in the I world. don't even know what season it is. I just have to make... I just have to go by the context clues of what I'm wearing and then trust that I dressed responsibly for the weather, which is really hit or miss. Anyway, I was at, I was, I was in a parking lot. I was at the gym and I saw a vehicle with a bumper sticker that said abortion kills children. And that really bummed me the fuck out. So I had a really good rage run on the treadmill. Excellent workout. And then just like imagined all the ways I could like fuck with their bumper sticker. And I did none of them because, you know, I'm a stable person and that's just, well, that's just not how I choose to act out. Would you like more wine? I would like a little more wine, please. Just, just a smidgen, just a skosh. Um, So I decided, so, so like it, it just got me thinking about all these like pro-life arguments (sighs) which is really like pro-force pregnancy and like all the issues surrounding that. And like, well, if you're pro-life, why aren't you supporting like children who are going hungry or, right. you know, childcare and like There's all these a lot other of better things you could support. I spiraled mentally. So I decided to channel all of this rage and contempt. Contempt. It's my new word. Yeah. Contempt does not describe my feelings anymore into my story today so I was thinking so this has actually been um an item of hot debate in Minnesota and I will get into it um but free school lunches for children in public schools and how that's somehow like controversial to feed children and so I was thinking about that and I was just like I know women were behind that 
I know women were behind the school lunch program. So I Googled it. Right. And by God, I was right. Because you can't do a women's history podcast for three years without realizing women are behind every goddamn thing. Yeah. Come on. Paper bags. Flat bottom paper bags. That was a woman. In some fucking capacity, especially when it comes to like taking care of children. Or people in general. Generally. So... Today, I am whining about Harriet Clisby and the Women's Educational and Industrial Union. So the last half of the 1800s was a time of rapid change and growth for the United States. The Industrial Revolution had peaked and an influx of immigration led to cities, led cities to swell with people. If you were an immigrant to the United States, like many of our ancestors were, aka like if you're not an indigenous person, all of our ancestors were, reminder, you are likely escaping war, famine, persecution, or otherwise inhospitable conditions, chasing the promised American dream of prosperity in exchange for hard work. But what you found, however, were overcrowded cities, Poor sanitation, and poor is like being very generous, rampant xenophobia, low-paying jobs, and little to no workers' rights. Sounds accurate. Not great. No, that's not great. terrible. Accurate. Yeah. People are leaving their homes for this. Right. Like, people aren't doing that lightly. Exploitation, especially of women and children, was the name of the game in Boston, Massachusetts. Shocker. That's a terrible Boston accent. That, yeah. We're going to work As on you it. keep going. We're going to work on it. Um, and other East Coast cities. Thankfully, where there is suffering, there are inevitably those working to alleviate it. Enter Harriet Clisby, which I love that last name. Clisby. Miss Clisby. Miss Clisby. Harriet Jemima Winifred Clisby. Ooh, I like that name. <laughs> that is name, a name. You're going to run out of breath saying that fucking name. I She's a it. goddamn queen. She was born on August 31st, 1830 in London, England. At eight years old, her family moved to Adelaide, South Australia, which was still a British colony at the time, a.k.a. prison colony, penal colony, a.k.a. The Island of Misfit Toys. Early on, Harriet engaged in humanitarian efforts working at a community home in Adelaide that helped to rescue women prisoners. Wow. I couldn't find more information about that, and it that wasn't the central focus of the story, but you can tell early on she has this humanitarian nature. So yeah, I, I wrote in here, remember Australia is still a full-on penis colony at the time, and the last prison t- transport wouldn't be until 1867. And yes, I know I said penis. 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 See, penis, vagina. They're just words. Testicles, urethra, <clears throat> ovaries. These are words if you say you t- in the government, you get told that you have a filthy mouth. Clitoris. Clitoris. Just because you can't find it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> I was going to I will get into the, me to it. I will even get into the, oh my God, that's grossly relevant to my story later on so just just buckle up i i will strap in and strap on there was a lot of rage that went into these notes (laughs) but harriet who quote uh believed that writing was to be her vocation unquote at the time started the first magazine in australia called the interpreter later moving to melbourne 
And I know that's how you pronounce it because I just met someone who just came from Melbourne and I asked him, so come at me, Australia. And that's where she found work as an editor for the Southern Phonographic Harmonia magazine, which if you couldn't tell by the title, was music focused. I really like it. I, it's a lot to say, but I appreciate it. So while working as an editor, she received a pamphlet by Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. Ever heard of her? About mm. medical training for women. And while we haven't covered Elizabeth, um, here's just a brief overview. I think she's someone we definitely could cover because she's, I don't think she's like Amelia Earhart famous, but she's still like up there. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure she's on those shirts that we got from the Science Museum of Minnesota. Sure she she's is. one of the women. Yeah. So she's kind of like there with Rosalind Franklin. Yeah. Or if you have like a, if you've dug into women's history, like an inch or two, you've probably heard of her, unless you're us who have been doing this podcast for three years. Anyway, she was the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States and pioneered efforts to get more women into the medical field. Bad bitch. Love it. Love that for her. So Elizabeth's pamphlet struck a chord with Harriet, who immediately knew that writing was not her calling. Medicine was. It was a hell of a pamphlet. <laughs> yeah, it was. Like, can you imagine reading one pamphlet and it changing your entire, like, what you think your purpose in life is? No, I can't. Me neither. I mean, I can't imagine listening to days and days worth of podcasts and yeah. deciding oh, that's 100%. what I want to do with my life. So to pursue her education in medicine, Elizabeth returned to London because in the penis colony of Australia, there were not a lot of medical opportunities for women shocking right i know i'm like why wasn't that the first thing they did after building the prisons <laughs> so she studied nursing at guy's hospital i assume that's a name it wasn't just like i don't know it's like a hospital for guys let's just like call it guy's hospital don't worry about it so there she befriend, befriended Dr. Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, a notable physician and suffragist in England. And she holds the distinction of being the first woman in Britain to qualify as a physician and surgeon. So, so she's writing into like all of these really cool, badass women named Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that a was a lot of Elizabeths that are badass. That was the name at the time. To name your child if you wanted a badass. Exactly. It's like if you were an Elizabeth, you had to try to go into medicine. It was preordained in the stars. So Elizabeth was incredibly supportive of Harriet and gave her an invaluable piece of advice. If Harriet wanted to get anywhere in medicine as a woman, she had to go to the U.S., as it was the only country that offered opportunities to women. And that's how bad it was for women in the medical profession. Because <laughs> I would not describe the U.S. as like a safe haven for women's education, especially in medicine. But traveling to the U.S. was an incredibly expensive endeavor, funny how things never change, and she continued working at Guy's Hospital to save up for her trip. So finally, Harriet made the voyage to New York, and thanks to the financial support of a friend, she enrolled at the New York Medical College and Hospital for Women, where she earned her diploma in 1865 and joined the small but growing ranks of femme physicians. Woohoo! Femme physicians, yeah, they're coming now. Femme physicians, get... I can't think of something I rhyme with now right now. Okay. They're coming for you, pow! 
There you go. With the inoculations, <laughs> vaccinate your children. Because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that was not. <laughs> no, we've got so many hot takes right now. <laughs> we do. We're, uh, we're going to start. to Whining About Herstory, the podcast where we only talk about hot takes. Yeah, and we make up poorly rhymed songs on the spot. And we're going to start an after school, like one of those after school commercials where hey, we're just like, the more you know. My rendition of. Um, do you want to build a snowman was beautiful and it did rhyme. No, that, that was beautiful. And, and then I 100% on the top and then I rolled the in and shit on your legacy, <laughs> spread my cheeks and shit on your legacy. Stop saying shit like that. Like as I'm taking a sip, I'm just one day I'm just going to spew wine all over both of our laptops and your face. And that's the day I can quit the podcast because my goal is always to get you to laugh because you are so controlled in your feelings. And I'm like, laugh, bitch. (laughs) Oh, that's just funny coming. That's yeah. I'm yep. not a very, like, usually a very controlled person. Apparently on the podcast, I am. Anyway, we're looking for that. We're looking for that spit take. Tell me more about femme physicians. Femme physicians. Yeah, they're coming for you with the inoculations. Emily's just really on these inoculations right now. On, yeah. Well, it's become increasingly relevant, and I'm pissed off about it. Anyway, in 1871, Harriet moved to Boston. Boston. I think that's all right. I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to channel um this accent I heard on TV and it's I need to listen yeah, to you, it more. You need to stop. Anyway, I will never stop. Our like one Boston listener is like, "Fuck you, Emily." Here's Click. the thing: I know a Canadian in Boston now. Oh well, that doesn't count. And no, I know, but she's in Boston and she loves me. Also, she texted me the other day and she's like, "Do you know this person?" And I'm like, "I don't." Oh, because they graduated from your high school a year after you and now they're in Boston and I ran into them and I'm like what is this world and I actually I I did a little Facebook stalking I'm like she looks kind of familiar but I don't think we were ever like connected anyway yeah tiny world I someone in Boston loves me yeah so Okay, so she moved to Boston to practice medicine, and though she no longer felt writing was her vocation, she continued to supplement, just little sips, little sips here and there, supplement her income, writing for the Women's Journal, a women's suffrage newspaper that was edited by suffragist Lucy Stone, ever heard of her, and her husband, Henry Blackwell, who was the brother of Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell, who started this whole journey. Seriously, it is a small fucking world. (laughs) I mean, when you only have so many femme physicians, it makes sense. And yeah. Anyway, she she primarily wrote about her life in Australia and her immigration journey. So now, as I discussed in the beginning, immigrants in Boston were having a rough go of it with health and social problems abounding. Harriet, believing charity begins at home, started holding Sunday meetings for women in her house. These meetings served as a collaborative effort of discussing and finding solutions for the issues that face their community. Very grassroots, loving all of it. In 1877, I almost said 1887. 1877, these informal meetings evolved to the Women's Educational and Industrial Union, or the WEIU, or the WEIU. 
which is how I will exclusively refer to it from now on. So get ready for that. A common theme that they encountered was how the disenfranchisement and exploitation of women negatively affected not only the women as people, but their entire families. So in 1877, the Wii U hit the ground running. I love it. (laughs) They're like, get out the way. get out the way get out the way social justice coming your way (laughs) and then there's just the one person in the background 100 percent 100 percent i would be the wii u person i love that for you and i love that like if you ever need a wii u person you just have to call kelly and be like i need the wii u and she's gonna be like i'm fucking there (laughs) tell me when and where cystic fibrosis walk i'm the wii u gal (laughs) (laughs) yeah So uh, they hit the ground running by opening a store called The Shop at the Union that sold crafts, food, clothes, and other items that were made by women in their homes. And this helped women to earn additional income for their families while staying home to care for their families because, again, that was seen as the woman's job. But also they were able to be independent in working and not have to be subjected to, like, they they weren't at, they weren't, there's a word I'm trying to think of. They weren't stuck at the hands of abusive business owners and bosses. There's a word for that. There, there's a phrase and it's not coming to me. It's fine. But you know what I'm saying. So the shop at the union actually just closed in 2004. Over a hundred years this yeah, thing was, was like, going. Jesus, that's... Jesus Christe. And at the time, it was still selling items made by women-owned business and businesses and artists. Next, the Wii U decided to take exploitation, tackle, excuse me, exploitation of immigrant workers. People immigrating to the U.S. often didn't speak English or were unfamiliar with their legal rights. And this made them vulnerable to predatory employers. In 1878, Wii U created the Protective Committee to provide legal advice to workers and support those who were being exploited. And like, this is still something like we have these organizations in our communities that provide free legal advice to people at a certain income range because to defend yourself from injustice legally is incredibly expensive which is kind of fucked because you think if someone does something wrong to you it's like the justice system should take care of that and it's like no you kind of have to like handle it yourself in a lot of ways but this is helping people who like don't know what their rights are and they're vulnerable. We've talked about that so many times with so many other women, like them educating women about not knowing what their rights are, because Mm -hmm. that was so fucking common. It is still a thing today. That particularly people in shitty situations have no idea what their rights are. I don't even know what my rights are in certain circumstances. Like if I get pulled over, I don't know all of my rights. That's horrifying. That's horrifying to admit. So the protective committee would operate until 1921 when they passed on the responsibility to the Massachusetts Legal Aid Society on the condition that they hire a female lawyer. They're like, okay, you're this big thing and you're like also doing this and we're just going to like give this to you because we got other shit going on. But feminism. Right. Like, there's all this Femini- other shit, but yeah. feminism. Yeah, but like, y- you know, you need to represent the people that you're serving. Exactly. 
So the WEU started employment training programs for blind adults and for female retail workers, training them in a variety of skills related to retail, like sales, accounting, purchasing, and more. And this allowed women the opportunity to get better paying jobs at department stores like Philene's and Marshall Fields. That's the only one I recognize because my mom and I used to go there all the time and their Frango chocolates are amazing. Simons University would adopt their program model... And it's still in use today. Hmm. So they did a lot for a very long time, but I'm going to skip to the meat and potatoes of this. Pun intended. So we're going to get to the accomplishment that led me to the Women's Educational and Industrial Union and Harriet in the first place. Wine burp. Yay. That, that, that wasn't the accomplishment. It was just what I was doing. (laughs) I like to narrate my bodily functions. Who doesn't? In 1907, the Women's Union established the first hot lunch program for public schools in the United States. School lunch programs, while new to the U.S., had been in operation in Europe for hundreds of years. And, God, okay. Madison, your wine has got me reeling. Or maybe it's like the anger that's bubbling up inside me. It's a lot. Yeah. I'm generally full of gas, so <laughs> this is not a surprise. It's just like really persistent right now yeah. while I'm recording audio that will be on the internet forever. This is my legacy. <laughs> so like in Boston, early school lunch programs in the United States were created and run by civic organizations built on volunteers who had the radical idea that maybe children shouldn't go hungry. Shocking. What a wild concept. Hey, you know who was also super into feeding people? Jesus. Shocking. Oh, my God. He loved feeding people and supporting low-income people and people who were sick or couldn't work. Yeah. God, man. If only we had a massive amount of people in this country who were, like, super into Jesus. Right. That'd be, that could help feed people. That would fix all of people. our problems. What a fantastic way to be. Too bad that's not real. God fucking damn it. Right. So um, the federal government wouldn't pass legislation mandating school lunch programs until 1946 when Congress passed the National School Lunch Act, which stated, quote, it is hereby declared to be the policy of Congress as a measure of national security. To safeguard the health and well-being of the nation's children and to encourage the domestic chapter three history of the national school lunch program consumption of nutritious agricultural commodities and other food by assisting the states through grants and aid and other means in providing an adequate supply of food and other facilities for the establishment, maintenance, operation, and expansion of non-profit school lunch programs. Jesus Christ, that was like Braveheart. That sentence never ended. It did not end. Like Every time I was about to chime in and yeah. say something, you were like, and, but, and. And I was wait, like, wait, wait. all right. Let me just scan this legit paragraph for a second. <laughs> Other than commas, there is no yeah. punctuation on sentence holy shit but basically it's like this is a measure of national security to safeguard the health and well-being of our nation's children like 
this is beneficial for all of us as a nation and as one of the wealthiest nations in the world, we should be fucking ashamed that any child goes hungry. Right. That is a failure. On so many fucking levels. Like, and that's a purposeful failure. It's one thing if you can't provide. It's one thing if you can and don't. How fucked is that? Anyway. Yeah. By this time, the women's union had prepared and served up to 18,000 lunches per day. I thought that was a total, like, cumulative over the years of their operation. 18,000 lunches every day goddamn day for Boston public schools. Today, it may feel obvious for public schools to provide food for students, but there is still a hot debate over the topic today, ranging from what children are served to whether or not children should have to pay for school lunches. And by children, I mean their families. Children do not have money. Right. They don't have money. We had a whole issue about child labor. They don't have money. And they shouldn't be working. Yes. They should be in school where they're te- where they're learning and then getting fed. And then so learning they're not some more. too hungry to learn. Yeah. <laughs> also, bring back recess. Anyway, so there is an all-out food fight in the United States. But not the fun kind. Not the fun kind. Even oh, no. I had one food fight. Growing up, it was the last day of eighth grade and we we're supposed to have a they're, big party. They're not actually that fun. They suck. No, it was awful. And like our whole entire grade got in huge trouble. We didn't get our party. And really, it was just like a couple of kids that started it. And we spent the rest of the day with all of our teachers just glaring at us. It was it was the worst. Please don't start a food fight. If you're young enough where you're in the position to start a food fight, just don't do it. Because then you are literally the worst. So, shockingly, there are those who argue against providing free school lunches. And in our own lake-covered state of Minnesota, this topic has been hotter than French bread pizza, don't you know? That sounds delicious. Doesn't it? I want French bread pizza now. Same. I love it. Um, As of March 17th, Governor Tim Walz signed a bill into law that guarantees free breakfast and lunch for all students in Minnesota, regardless of their family's income. Walz, who's a former teacher, I'm not, I don't know why I'm saying that. He says it in his quote. Let me, I should just read my fucking notes like a normal human being. Walz said of the bill, quote, as a former teacher, I know that providing free, free breakfast and lunch for our students is one of the best investments we can make to lower costs, support Minnesota's working families, and care for our young learners and the future of our state. This bill puts us one step closer to making Minnesota the best state for kids to grow up. And I am grateful to all of the legislators and advocates for making it happen. Now, to be fair, like Walls was in full support of this bill and he probably could have killed it, but he did not like make this. Like there was so much work that went into just even getting this through. Right. Perhaps not surprisingly, the Republicans were not behind this bill. In particular, Republican Senator Steve Dreskowski went viral for a video clip of his argument against the bill saying, quote, and everyone, I just want you to remember, this is a real quote. This is not an Onion article. I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that is hungry. I have yet to meet a person in Minnesota that says they don't have access to enough food to eat. Really? I've met several. Right? 
Are you fucking kidding me? Like, what are you doing? Going around white class, like white suburban middle class neighborhoods and being like, do you have enough food? Of course they fucking do. Yeah. Yeah. Go to a homeless shelter. Oh my God. Go to a public high school. I'm like, could you out yourself as being more out of touch? And like Republicans, they're supposed to be like for the working class and you know, all this stuff. And it's like the working class are the people who are struggling. And why wouldn't you want to feed their children? You ass. I'm so embarrassed. So he actually went to our university. He didn't, he didn't get a degree in people being hungry. <laughs> I think it was Clearly. something related to agriculture or no, it was business. He ain't getting agriculture. It better not be fucking agriculture. Um, also he's Polish and he's, he's from Wisconsin. And I'm like, okay, he's a transplant to Minnesota. He went to our university and he's Polish. I feel like I have a personal duty to cancel out all of his bad energy because I am also all three of those things. Thank God our reality is not based uh, on and or dependent on what this man has seen or experienced. Otherwise, the clitoris definitely would not exist. Right. Neither would Japanese people, the majority of the world, space. Jesus. Jesus. He has not experienced Jesus. Right. D- have you shooken, shaken his hand? Right. Like so many things in this world would not exist. I wouldn't exist. He's never met me. God. Dick. Yeah. I like seriously, I am I'm embarrassed like embarrassed doesn't even cut doesn't even cut it. Like it is truly disgusting that someone in our state is like, well, I've never met a hungry person, so I don't see why it's a big deal. It's like, check your fucking privilege. You live in a very small sphere. We all do. We all live in a small sphere, and it's our job to open ourselves up to the experiences of others. And then it's called empathy. Empathy. Empathia. Em- e- e- empathia. <laughs> so seriously, District 20, which is his district, y'all can do better. Even if you're against school lunches for everyone for some reason. Y'all can still do better. Y'all can do better because that was the most piss poor argument I've ever heard. A middle school debate team kid could kick his ass. Yeah. Y'all can do better. Yeah. Y'all deserve better. Anyway, Dreskowski also gets an F from the Pro-Choice Minnesota uh, Organization for co-authoring abortion ban bills. Weird that someone who is pro-life doesn't want to feed our children. Weird. Hmm. Well, once they're out of the, the, the you know, the womb, I they don't care no about- rights. Well, they're, they were alive at some point, and I don't care about keeping them that way. Yeah, of course not. Draskowski is also a co-sponsor of a bill to bar doctors from providing gender-affirming health care to trans youth called the PROM Act. Uh, the uh, PROM Act? Yeah. That's so disgusting. It's so On gross. so many levels. I went down kind of a rabbit hole with him, and I oh, needed to Jesus stop. Because I'm like, and he's been reelected in District 20 so mm. many times. I'm like. <sighs> we need to go campaign in District 20. He just, like, it, literally Fortunately, it's else. not our dress, but it's, like, right next to us. Exactly. That's why we need to go over there and be yeah. like, please don't vote for this asshole. He's a fucking idiot. At least get someone who can form a better argument other than, like. I don't see I them, see, so they don't exist. I see no evil. Evil, therefore, there is no evil. So, uh, Driscat, uh, oh, yeah, no, I went into that. We're done with him. In response to this almost too asinine to be real argument, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan said, quote, 
to our decision makers who believe that they have never met someone who is experiencing or has experienced hunger, hi, my name is Peggy Flanagan, and I was one in six of those Minnesota children who experienced hunger. Fuck yeah, Peggy Flanagan. Fucking clap back. And like that, that's such a, because Mic it's, drop, it's a real life experience. It's like, I am one of those people. You have met me. You know me. And I'm going to drop in a statistic because Fuck facts. yeah. Fucking facts. So with this bill, Minnesota has joined the small but hopefully growing ranks of states that guarantee free school lunches, becoming number four. California, Maine, and Colorado preceded us. So back to the Wii U, now that I'm done dragging Drezkowski, because he's the worst and I hate him. Uh, they're For list- now. Done dragging Drezkowski. For, For now. now. <laughs> I mean, are you ever really done fighting against someone who's like, well, I've never met a hungry person, so I don't know why we should fade PayPal. Fucking A. Anyway, their list of accomplishments uh, is long and continues into 2006 when they officially disbanded. So the Wii U was going on for over 100 years. They addressed vital issues of education, employment, civil rights, hygiene, safety, social services, and more. Navi just like violently smacked my laptop because she wants attention. (laughs) That was Navi that time, not me. Oh, my God. I didn't finish these notes. I absolutely, I think I went down the Dreskowski rabbit hole. I did not finish my notes, but I do have, I do have a quote that kind of wraps up Harriet in her obituary published in Australia. It reads last week, the death was announced by cable from London of Dr. Harriet Clisby, who was described as the oldest woman doctor in the world and who might in fact quite easily have been the oldest doctor in the world. Wow. For it was on August 31st, 1930, that she celebrated her 100th birthday. I think she was like over 100 when she died. Because what year did she die? Um, Let me look that up really quick. God, you're like me. I've never done that. I don't think I've ever done this before where I get to the end and I'm like, wait, where's the legacy section? Um, she died on April 30th, 1931. And I. Oh, okay. So she celebrated her hundredth birthday in August the previous year and then died in April. Okay. Okay. So yeah, she was a hundred years old. She died in London, England. Uh, she did end up marrying a guy named Henry Edward Walker. I didn't get into him. It's not his story. And. Clisby Close in the Australian Capital Territory of Territory Suburb of Cook is named in her honor. And da, 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 she moved to Geneva for a while where she founded the Union of Femmes, which is awesome. She remained active. She kicked lots of ass right up until the end. Yeah, and she was described as the oldest woman doctor in the world. But yeah, that is the story of Harriet Clisby, the oldest w- doctor in the world, and the Wii U. Wii U, Wii U, Wii U. Move, bitch. Get out the way. Get out the way. School lunch is coming. Get out the way. 
Heck yeah. Watch out for my French bread pizza. Emily's really on this French bread pizza thing. You can buy like a pack of it at Costco now. It's so good. I miss it. Like, like there are certain school lunches just where I just really miss. buy some French bread and make pizza. Yeah. No. I. You know, it's funny because I never Emily's had school like, no, lunches. It's not the same. Well, I never, unless it's served on that little blue tray. I will buy you a little blue tray. <laughs> Thank you. No, I didn't do the school lunches until I moved here. Because I went to a private school where that's not required. And like, you know, if you can afford to send your kid to private school, you can usually afford to send them with a lunch. So I did that. And so when I went to public school, I was like, this is the best shit in the world. And I love it. And the I and like the idea that I don't know, the idea that one kids can run out of money for food but then also be shamed for being like on a free school lunch program because then that creates class divides. And I remember there were situations where like, here's the thing. I was never in a position where I couldn't afford my school lunches, but your reliance on the person checking you out at the end to tell you, Hey, you need to bring in a check next time you come, you're close to running out. And there were times where I didn't get that notification and they were like, yeah, you can't have this lunch. And I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And they'd usually let me just slide. But it's so shameful. And for a child at any point in their life to have that feeling, it's when they don't have to, it's completely inexcusable. So that was my, hey, let's actually be pro-life and take care of living fucking children. And also protect, like, living fucking human beings who could get pregnant. Right. Like, let's just protect everyone. Yeah. No, that that was my, um, that was my constructive, that was my constructive coping mechanism. Thank you for, thank you for attending my Ted rant. Ted rant. (laughs) My Randy rants. My wah rant. (laughs) My whiny rants. Oh my God. Seriously. Sometimes like the whining about her street, like the whining part is real where I'm just like, God damn it. I just want to scream. And I just, some of this stuff, I don't understand. I don't understand how it can be controversial. Yeah. I don't understand how I it's not a, a duh issue. Cause like, here's the thing. I grew up going to Catholic school and Jesus was like the number one, you know? And I remember learning all about, you know, humanitarianism and charity and like feeding and clothing the poor and helping those who have less. And, you know, the story of like all these, all these like rich men donating buckets of gold to the, to the temple. And then this one woman donating the last penny she had and they shamed her. And Jesus is like, she's given more than all of you combined because she has given literally everything she has. Yeah. Like it, it. It, ba- it boggles the mind. It really boggles the mind because I, I truly feel like the religious right, if they were actually paying attention to what Jesus was doing and what he stood for, they wouldn't be behaving the way they are. And that's really yeah. disappointing because in my opinion, they're taking God's name in vain saying like, oh, I'm being an asshole because Jesus wants me to be. Right. You're he like, doesn't. clearly you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Hashtag not my Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> So Kelly, hashtag not my Karen, hashtag not not this particular Karen, hashtag not my Jesus, hashtag give me more fucking wine, please. 
Hashtag school lunches. Hashtag school lunches <laughs> for all. <laughs> Hashtag um, French bread pizza. Hashtag French. Okay. Yes. French bread pizza. We're doing this. Someone make it happen. I'm going to change our buy me a coffee thing to, to buy, buy me, me a French bread pizza. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you want to sponsor a bottle of wine. coffee.com slash wapod. Yeah. Wapod. 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 Or <laughs> W-A-H pod if you're having trouble spelling that phonetically. Wapod. Wapod. <laughs> Kelly, what are you thankful for? This needs to stop. We need to end this. The dogs are done. They're like, shut the actual fuck up. No, Dory's just telling you what she's thankful for. What is she thankful for? Me. Always. Always me. Um, I, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for having a little bit, a little bit of downtime this week. Because the next two weeks, just because I'm taking vacation work, is going to be like super fucking hectic. Because I have to like shift people from one day to a different day. So I have two days where I'm like literally booked until forever. So I'm just, I'm thankful for having a little downtime, a little me time and a long weekend. That's awesome. How about you? What are you thankful for? Um, fuck, what am I thankful for? Um, so Q finished her, it's not her last girls on the run thing. Her last one is next week, but it's the last one that I have to pick her up from. And so I'd already decided I was going to like swing by the, the local grocery store on the way home and like get her a treat to like, Hey, this was awesome. And this was such a cool thing you did. And girls on the run is like, like, it's about running, but it's also about like inclusivity and empowerment and like change. Who did that? Q. Q. Okay. Yeah. Little Q. Cute. A little sass queen. And so I've so I've been picking her up every week and she's been loving it and doing oh, really that's well. So good. And it's so I like it's just really awesome. And I so I so I took her to this this store and I don't know. I was like, okay, I'm really proud of you for doing this and finishing it. And so I'm gonna get you a treat. And she was so excited. She's looking all over and like she was like skipping down the aisles and she only almost ran into people a few times, but she's agile, which I'm not. So I'm like, I would have definitely gotten hit. But something I was really proud of, too. um, I also got a new water bottle because hers broke and we couldn't find water bottles. And so she's like, so like I've been with her in a store and she doesn't want to ask people. She doesn't want to talk to people. She's like, it's all shy. And she's like, you do it. She went right up to the, to one of the people working there. And she's like, hi, um, do you know where, do, do you have water bottles? And the, you know, the, the gal took us to the places we had been looking and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I was like, okay, cute. What you say? She's like, that's okay. Thank you. It was so nice. And then the lady came back and she's like, oh, one of my coworkers told me we might have some back here. And like, I don't know, just the manner she would was using, the confidence to like talk to the woman and ask right, for like help. She was shy, but she did it, and which then, is adorable. Yeah. And she was telling me about Girls on the Run and all this other stuff. She's just like really excited. Um, and she was talking to me about like changing negative talk. And I was like, oh, well, what's that? And it's like, well, if you say you can't do something, people will say pineapple. That's like the secret word. And like, so if you're like, I can't do this, someone says pineapple and you have to change that phrase to, 
I can do this, but it's hard. Or like, this is hard, but I can do it. And it's like, I hate this pineapple. I don't like this, but I can do it. Or like, I'm not, I don't want it. Right. But how cool is that? But how cool is that? And I told her, I was like, you know, that's a really good skill to have because there are a lot of adults who don't know how to do that. Right. And it's, it makes living really hard. And I don't know. She gave me a couple of suckers as thanks for her treat and her water bottle. And she was just really excited. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thankful for the time that I get to spend with her. She's, she's just such a cool kid. And I'm glad for the opportunity to like continue to get to know her. Like I took her to the Mario movie this last month and dude, that movie was fucking hilarious. I know a lot of nerds got all up in arms about like Mario, but it was really fucking funny. I enjoyed it. I want to watch it sometime. Come at me. There was a really nihilistic star that I was truly in love with. <laughs> Accurate. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD, Twitter at WAH underscore pad. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our merch, our link to buy me a coffee, our link to. Our Patreon, where you can donate for as little as $1 to support us monthly versus a one-time donation if you want to buy us a coffee or wine bottle instead. These are facts, and you can find us directly at buymeacoffee.com forward slash WAHpod. If you want to be cool like mass and ham. Yeah, you can also give us five stars wham, wherever bam, you listen. Wham, bam, thank you, ham. Wee-oo, wee-oo, wee-oo. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye. Wee-oo.